This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. This week and next week on the show, we're going to look at a topic that's gained a level of notoriety in recent years that might be surprising to many, pollinators and the pollen that they love. Next week, we'll look at pollen and the horrors of hay fever. But this week, we're going to look at a, well, hipper aspect of pollination. In the last few years, the popularity of bees has grown wildly, and people who've never given bees a lot of thought suddenly have found themselves hearing a lot about them, with books like Sue Monk Kids' The Secret Life of Bees, increasing interest in locally grown and organic foods and beauty products, a movie starring Jerry Seinfeld as a bee attorney, and, surprisingly, urban and suburban beekeeping. But even before bees became the coolest stinging insect ever, people like Kevin Madison were already on the case. Madison's a postdoctoral teaching fellow in Fordham's Biological Sciences Department, and for the last several years, he and his colleagues have been looking at New York City through insect size, trying to figure out how bees in New York City live and how they differ from their more rural counterparts. Later today on the show, we will hear about a project that Madison's working on that turns New Yorkers into bee researchers. But first, Kevin Madison joined me in the studio this week to talk about New York City's bees and butterflies, wilderness in the city, and why we should pay closer attention to the median strip when we're stuck in traffic. Kevin Madison, welcome. Thank you. Now, when we think about New York City, especially the really dense parts, we don't tend to think of a lot of wildlife really existing outside the big parks, at least not wildlife outside of, you know, like rats and roaches and pigeons. But you say that is not the case. Yeah, you're not going to really see large mammals um, and some of the more spectacular large wildlife. But if you know where to look, you're going to see a lot of insects. In particular, what I've been studying is bees and butterflies. Once you start to notice them, you'll start to see them everywhere. So where does wildlife exist in New York? I did my my dissertation research on community gardens, which there's over 700 of these small gardens located all over the city. And I was just looking at gardens in the Bronx and East Harlem. So there are these relatively small, previously vacant lots that people have created these, these flower gardens and vegetable gardens on. And they tend to be surrounded by large buildings and a lot of concrete because it is New York City. But within these small little oases, there are quite a few uh, butterflies, quite a few bees that are able to get nectar and pollen from the plants. So we have uh, what are called sweat bees, these very small bees. We also have yellow-faced bees. We have metallic green bees. These are common names. We also have quite a few wasps, and people sort of cringe with wasps and bees because they can sting you, and sometimes they buzz around you. They can be a little frightening, but... Most of these are, are going to be very harmless and only will sting, of course, when you are threatening to them. So it's it's pretty exciting to be able to see this diversity in the city because most people really think of that as being something just for the rainforests or just for uh, coral reefs or tropical areas of the world. And yet there are species that are persisting within New York City and these densely populated areas. So, I mean, I think we've probably all seen a community garden before, but describe for me the sites where you were doing your research. They're very exciting locations. Um, There tend to be uh, a lot of flowering plants, a lot of ornamental flowering plants, and a little path, and then sometimes a little house or casita, they're sometimes called, and often a barbecue area. Uh, there's often kids coming and going. There's um, elderly people often are, are the ones that are maintaining the gardens, although you see some younger younger folk doing that as well. 
And um, so they're they're active with people. There's often a lot of music. There's um, um, just a, a, you're inevitably going to hear Mr. Softy uh, uh, music truck, uh, ice cream truck uh, uh, as well. And and then again, you know, if you if you look closely, you will see some of these bees and butterflies and other insects um, mixed in um, in these flowers and just sort of uh, making their living in their quiet little way amidst all of that. So what kind of butterflies? The butterflies, the, the main one you're going to see is, is called the cabbage white butterfly, which a lot of people think is a moth because it doesn't have much coloration. But it is a butterfly, and it actually is a non-native. Uh, it was introduced from Europe uh, several hundred years ago, and now it's uh, super abundant in New York City. You can see it in gardens uh, collecting nectar and pollen, but it, you can also see it flying down Major Deegan Expressway on the Cross Bronx. I've seen it. I've seen cabbage white butterflies fly into a city bus, and the bus driver sort of started swatting at it, and then opened his window and it flew out. I don't know if it didn't have a metro card or what. But um, there's all sorts of things you see with cabbage whites because they really are everywhere in New York City. But beyond that, we also see monarch butterflies, uh, which are doing their great migration. They move through New York City, particularly at the end of August and September, and even into October if it's warm enough. You see other things that most people haven't heard of, pearl crescents and common sooty wings. These are the, some of the names of some of the other butterflies, red admirals and um, uh, American ladies. Uh, so these sort of quaint, nice names for some of these butterflies, but they'll they'll come into a garden, they'll visit for a little bit, they'll get what they need, and they often will just move on. When we spoke before, you mentioned that you try to look at the city through the eyes of a bee or a butterfly. What did you mean by that? Well, I think that humans, well, we we look at the city and we have our own sort of stressful notions of New York City being this fast-paced environment being densely populated by humans, at least. Uh, but for a butterfly that's floating along, that doesn't necessarily know anything about traffic jams or about uh, rising housing costs or anything like that, and just looking at the city from the standpoint of where are floral resources located and how can this butterfly survive, and just sort of uh, letting go of the notions that, well, because it can be a little bit of a crazy place for humans, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a harsh environment for other species. For, for some species, certain butterflies may actually do very well here and may find this to be a very peaceful environment for them because there may be less predators, less things to compete with, less of, of the other, other species. So trying to imagine it that way just helps me to understand them a little bit more. So when you're looking at New York through the eyes of a bee or a butterfly, what do you see? I see a patchy environment, uh, so you do have that concrete uh, that is uh, what largely characterizes New York City, but you also have these plantings of flowers throughout in these community gardens. You also have them in city parks. You now have a lot of rooftop gardens, so you do have quite a few little patches of resources, um, and actually a lot of those have flowers that bloom for a long period of time because we've, we humans have chosen plants that do that for our own uh, viewing pleasure, but that also may benefit some of these bees and butterflies and other insects because it blooms for such a long time it gives potentially nectar and pollen for a longer period. Now on the same side of that is also the fact that there are less 
tend to be less native plants, and some of the uh, rarer native plants have, have disappeared from New York City or just aren't easy to find. And there are some species that require those very specific plants, so those species are not going to do well here. So there's kind of a two-sided story to the resources of New York City. If you're looking at New York City, how is it sort of different from what you'd see in a wilder area of the state? Well, there's there's a lot of things. For one, in areas like Midtown um, and parts of the Upper East Side, Upper West Side in particular, you have large, very tall buildings which shade out any potential habitat for bees and butterflies, which really require the sunlight um, because they're ectothermic. They require the sunlight to warm up and to be active, and they also uh, the sunlight is also going to increase the nectar and pollen of these flowers. So when you have constant or virtually almost continual shade, it can limit their abundance. So that's something that's unique. It's almost like a canyon habitat here in New York City, parts of New York City. So that's one thing. There's also just tends to be less soil, which for some of the bees, um, which actually make their nests in the ground and in soil, that could be a problem. So there may be enough flowers for them but there may not be enough nesting sites because we've paved over a large proportion of New York City. And even the parts we haven't paved over, the soil that is available is often compacted by humans, so it's the kind of thing that bees couldn't build a nest in. Now, I was surprised to learn recently, and I'm sure this is just because I'm ignorant on the subject of bees, that most bees are not like the honeybee and that they don't live in hives. They don't have these elaborate social systems. Mm -hmm. How do most bees live? Well, most bees are actually solitary, what we call solitary. They don't live in a social group. So basically females will dig a hole in the ground or excavate a cavity in a a hollow stem of a plant, and they'll lay eggs there, and they'll provision those eggs. They'll they'll leave pollen for those eggs. So once the pupa, once the larvae emerge from the eggs, they'll have something to feed on, and then they'll pupate, and they'll eventually turn into... Uh, the adult bees. And most of the bees are living alone. So, and, and they're living in the ground, in these little holes in the ground, or they're living in these hollow plants. In the course of your research looking for bees and butterflies, what surprised you about where you found them? What really surprised us was that there were so many exotic species out of the ones that we found. We found uh, nine different species out of 54 that are not native to uh, New York or or even to the United States and North America. So these bees are ones that have come across and have on on ships and um, have have actually made it here and have become inventive. They've become um, naturalized in this environment, and they seem to be doing very well in the the city, in New York City in particular. So how how have they changed? Well, they're the same species. They just, uh, for whatever reasons, they seem to be adapted to do well in the city. So there's probably many bee species that have been accidentally imported here and have made it across on ships in in wood that was being transported to New York Harbor. Some of them were able to survive and reproduce and increase in numbers, and some of them did not. The ones that are here seem to be doing very well in the urban kind of landscape. So are the bees that you would find in New York City, are they distinctly a different set of species than what you'd find outside of the city? 
Yes, there's well, there there's some overlap certainly. Um, the the northeastern bumblebee, the very common one I was mentioning, you're going to find in New York City. You're going to find it outside of New York City, but there seems to be these exotic bee species. Most of them um, are reaching levels of abundance in the city that you just don't see outside of in in Westchester County, for example, or further out in Long Island or New Jersey. In these you know, seemingly more natural landscapes where there's more forest, et cetera, we see more soil nesting species. We see more, um, uh, they're called mining bees, and uh, there's a whole set of them that when it gets to the city and gets to an urban landscape, they don't, we don't find them here. And so this is actually something I'm researching now. I want to see if maybe in some of the larger parks of the city, so places like parts of Central Park, parts of Inwood Hill Park in, in Manhattan, Pelham Bay Park in the Bronx, there's, there's a variety of parks I'm looking at. If some of these bees that are specifically the ones that are requiring more of a, a natural landscape, if they are holding on in terms of their populations, uh, maybe having small populations within these large parks. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Today on the show, we are talking about New York City's bees and how they're different from their country cousins. My guest this morning is bee researcher and Fordham teaching fellow Kevin Madison. In a few minutes, we'll follow Madison to a training for the Bee Watchers program. That's where volunteers are learning how to sit in the sun near pretty flowers for the good of scientific research. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with Kevin Madison. It's interesting that there are sort of a lot of bees in the city that would not be naturally occurring elsewhere. Is the fact that that's the case affecting the environment outside of the city? A lot of this is uh, are, are issues that we need to keep on looking at and that haven't been studied much. There haven't been as many urban ecologists and people that look at cities as a, as a landscape where animals and, and plants and other organisms are interacting, which of course they are. It's not just a place for human beings. So there just hasn't been that many studies on that kind of question. Which is a great question, you know. What, how does it impact um, pollination of plants? That there are um, this this group of species in the city that don't exist outside, and vice versa. Is pollination decreasing? Um, are some plants, in terms of their fertilization and their production of seeds and so forth, is that declining in uh, one environment or the other? And so that's that's a really great thing to look at and something we're trying to figure out. Now, you mentioned pollination, and I think that that's something we haven't talked about yet, the fact that that's one of the big functions that bees perform for people. Tell me just basically one-on-one level how that works and why what bees there are in New York City matters. So pollination is the movement of uh, pollen from the male reproductive part of a flower to the female reproductive part. And it can occur by wind. If you have a strong gust of wind, it can move the pollen. But there are some plants that have very heavy pollen or pollen that is just less likely to be carried by wind. And those are the ones, those are the plants that really need insects or other animals to help them move the pollen. And so bees, because they collect pollen, because they consume it, they eat it, they also often will accidentally get it all over their body as they're they're eating it. And, and as they're collecting it. And then when they move to another flower, they will transport that pollen. 
So uh, what we're interested in is what are the species, the plant species, that are really dependent on pollination in New York City? What are the plants that are being grown there that really require bees? And are there enough bees in the city to pollinate? Or are we seeing a decrease in, in, the, in the production from those crops because there maybe aren't quite enough? This is a little dramatic, but what would happen to the food supply in a world without bees? Well, we'd eat a lot of bread, and we'd eat a lot of rice and other grains uh, because those are wind-pollinated, but we wouldn't have things such as coffee and blueberries, and a lot of our fruits um, would decline in their productivity, not to say that they would completely decline to the point of having nothing, but uh, you know, production of apples may decrease by a certain percentile, and so the price of apples would then go up. But beyond what would happen to our crops, what would happen to our ecosystems? <laughs> you know, what would happen to forests and so forth, different areas, different grasslands, different areas of the world, tropical rainforests in particular is, is a habitat where um, there are is a great dependence on pollination. So even if it wasn't directly things that we as humans eat, it may affect the survival of many species and lead to extinction cascades, um, one extinction leading to another. So it could be a very scary thing. In recent years, um, butterflies and bees, but especially bees, have become really sort of, I don't know if the word is hip, but they've become very popular to study and to keep mm -hmm. and so on. Why do you think this has happened? I think, well, for one, there's, I think people are naturally interested in bees because they produce honey and we like honey and they also can sting us and I think we are naturally intrigued by things that can harm us <laughs> um, and so I think people are just sort of interested in them I think they're also a kind of a charismatic uh, group of species in that they they buzz and they uh, the bumblebees are kind of furry looking and and some would even say cute but also the declines in one species which is our honeybee Apis mellifera has led to a lot of concern about pollination and about uh, crop production and so forth. And there also have been some reports about declining other species of bees that are declining, native bees that are declining. And it's a mystery, and it's shocking to people to see a species, in the case of the honeybee, that just is disappearing. Um, it's raising awareness of our dependence on these species, and we all of a sudden realize, you know, that we shouldn't take certain things for granted. How did you get into studying insects? I actually grew up in the Bronx and then New Rochelle, and, um, but, but we went on camping trips with my family, and uh, that really sort of opened up uh, the world of nature to me, especially, I think, for a lot of people that grew up in the city, you kind of either have an, an extraordinary dislike of nature or an extraordinary uh, love of it because it is rare here and we don't get much exposure to it. So you're either really excited when you see something or sort of um, um, somewhat phobic of it. But um, I, I just really love um, getting a glimpse into the world, a uh, different world, and to kind of, you know, shrink down and, and see things at the level of an individual flower and a tiny little bee and a tiny little patch of the city is to me it sort of transports me away and it's um, just a very exciting time for me. I really like the idea of looking at biodiversity in New York City because I think most people do sort of view cities as set apart from nature and I think that's a, a paradigm that um, doesn't really work. I think 
in terms of quality of life and how we live, it makes much more sense to try and integrate nature, even into a city of 8 million people. Now, you are involved in a project where people in the city will be counting bees this summer and fall. Tell me about that. Yeah, we're very excited about this. This is uh, our way of getting uh, citizens of New York involved in biodiversity research. And you can do this um, right out in your local city park. You can do this in a community garden. You can do this in your own private garden. And basically what you do is we're, we're going to give you some flowers. And when the flowers bloom, you get to sit in front of the flower and maybe bring out a lawn chair or just sit on the ground and sit there with a cup of coffee or whatever your beverage choice is and watch the flower for 30 minutes and count the number of bees that come. And what this is going to do is, besides being fun, hopefully, for people to take a little break and stare at a flower and look for bees, uh, it's going to give us really important data on the distribution of bees throughout New York City. It's it's a part of a national effort called the uh, the Great Sunflower Project, and it's run by Gretchen LeBune out in San Francisco. Um, and this is going to give us citywide data in New York about areas potentially where there aren't bees and areas where there are a lot of bees. If people want to participate, how can they find out more? So if they go to the uh, American Museum of Natural History's website and they go to the uh, Center for Biodiversity and Conservation, they will see a program called Bee Watchers 2008. And in addition to that, they could also just Google um, Museum of Natural History and Bee Watchers, and it should come up. And from there, uh, there are email addresses they can contact us. There's also going to be the protocol and how they can uh, collect this data and how they can send it into us via email, et cetera. Now, I am afraid of bees, um, but if I did want to attract bees or butterflies to my particular urban area, is there any way that I could do that without having a garden? Uh, definitely. You can um, you can plant flowers in, in uh, uh, pots, and you can put that on a terrace. As long as it gets a decent amount of sun, it should attract something. If you have a, a rooftop location, you can do that. Um, so th- so those, those are some of the things you can do. You can also just um, go out and observe. And um, people may think you're, you're a little strange at first when they see you staring at flowers closely and um, uh, chasing down bees. But just sort of learning about it and um, being interested in it um, can be a little infectious and can get, get others involved as well. And it will give us this information. Great. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Just that... Just for people to really think about how in New York City, as you're driving around, when you're stuck in traffic, to look on the side, look at the median, um, look at the flowers that are present or not present, and to just think about this city as being a place where uh, that is not just for human beings, that there are these other species, and kind of um, looking at your local neighborhood, thinking about what resources are there in terms of flowers, this is the kind of thing that can be very helpful Um, And to realize that New York City does have a lot of wild areas, and it does have um, wilderness, not not in the classical sense, but little patches of of landscape that have biodiversity and that are are often um, at the threat of development, uh, but may have some, some species that are very rare and that are benefiting us, such as bees. Well, Kevin Madison is a postdoctoral teaching fellow in Forbes Biological Sciences Department. Kevin, thanks so much. Thank you. 
This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. On today's show, the sandy truth about the Hamptons. That's ahead at 7.30. On Fordham Conversations this morning, we have been talking with insect researcher Kevin Madison about pollinators in New York City. During our conversation, Madison mentioned the Bee Counters program, where New Yorkers are given several bee-friendly plants and asked to keep track of the bees that visit them. We joined Madison at a training session for the Bee Watchers, kind of a crash course on bees and bee identification, and we spoke with some of the recruits about the project. Well, I'm a king bee. Okay, are these bees? Buzzing around your eye. I'm Rebecca Johnson, 38 years old. I live um, in Flatbush in Brooklyn, and I work at Columbia University at the Center for Environment, Economy, and Society, where I do education programs. Basically, we plant these plants. Specifically, we have to do the sunflower, but we can plant all the other ones as well, and they all flower at different times during the year, or over the summer through October, so that at any given point there should be a flower in bloom, and then we sit down and we watch the flower for half an hour and then uh, we count how many bees land in a half an hour. So it's pretty easy, it's pretty simple and it's a nice excuse to get out on a sunny day I think and just say, sorry I I can't, you know, I can't mow the lawn, I have to count my bees today. I had taken this um, insect diversity class where we looked at a lot of dead bugs under a microscope and when you look at the insects up close they have these faces that are just sort of adorable like a Disney film or something. If you look closely at things, if you take some time and have a chance to like really look closely, they're more often than not really attractive, you know. So it's just it's just a neat thing, and you know, especially in the city, you don't get a chance to just sit and look. The next question is why focus on bees, and what is it about bees that is so interesting? My name is Lillian. I live in the Northwest Bronx. I'm in my early 60s, and I'm I'm a child psychologist. As I'm getting ready to retire soon, I'm looking for something in nature to spend my free time. We're given plants, and every other week we're required to um, sit and watch a plant for half an hour and count how many bees land on the flower and what kinds of bee it was for the half hour. You're afraid of bees. Okay. So... So you want to study them because you're afraid of them? <laughs> Actually, that's good. It's kind of like face, facing your fear a little bit, huh? You know, it's interesting that when I was in college, I wrote a paper on bees, for on honeybees. And I always remember the little dance that I learned that they perform and how they're really very smart animals. And um, I'm a little afraid of them. But, um, you know, I think it'll be interesting. So it's a fascinating world. <laughs> sail on, sail on, my little honeybee, sail on. My name is Jennifer Pluka, and I'm the director of environmental education for Phipps Community Development Corporation. Um, basically, my job is to uh, steward uh, three gardens in the Bronx. One of which is a two and a half acre organic garden. And I have a farmer's market there and an environmental education program. I'm 33 years old, and I live in Queens. I work in the Bronx. Tell you, lose your happy home. 
I'm in the garden very often. It is my job to be in the garden, so it's actually going to give me a little time not to work and just to look at the flowers. Sail on, my little honey bee, sail on. Bees are kind of, we found, one of the things we found is that they, it's, a, it's almost like uh, going to a mall. The bees like to have all the flowers together, close together, and that there needs to be a certain quantity and abundance that will really draw them in. And if you have like one flower, it's like, nah, I don't want to go that far to get to that one. <laughs> the best thing in location is sunny. You know, a sunflower will bloom in a shady location, but no bees will come. And it won't be because of the landscape like we're hypothesizing. It will be because of the shade that they won't come. Don't be afraid of bees. Don't swell and sway your arms around. Don't run from bees. Uh, just think loving thoughts towards the bees, and they won't sting you. <laughs> from WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at fordhamconversations at wfuv.org. We would, of course, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org, and it's in our audio archive, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. And remember, bees probably won't sting you, but watch out for those wasps. Sound like my little honeybee. I hear a lot of buzzing, sound like my little honeybee. She been all around the world making. Honey. This is WFUV ninety point seven and WFUV.org.